In this special edition of Makers on the Road, we're coming to you from KubeCon CloudNativeCon Europe 2022 in Valencia, Spain. Stay tuned for in-depth discussions at our first Tapas Tuesday event and noteworthy interviews from the KubeCon show floor. Thanks for listening. SpectroCloud is a provider of a complete and integrated platform that enables organizations to easily manage at scale the full life cycle of any combination of new or existing, simple or complex, small or large Kubernetes environments, whether in a data center, bare metal, cloud, or edge locations. KubeCon and CloudNativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud-native computing. The vendor-neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, Container, and more. Hola, once again. Uh, I, I wanted to welcome you all. I think the uh, proper term is uh, bienvenido. Did I say that right? Okay, cool. awesome. I'm Colleen Call. I'm with the New Stack. And I want to thank you all for joining us for our very first Tapas Tuesday. Now, who's been to an event before at QCon where we did not do Tapas? We had pancakes. Who's been to a pancake breakfast? Okay. <laughs> well, we have more coming um, if you're going to go to a QCon uh, North America in Detroit. So we got uh, two pancake uh, events. Anyway, did you enjoy the tapas? I know it went quickly. Awesome. Thank you. The delicious tapas and the panel discussion is sponsored by our wonderful partners from Spectro Cloud. Where's Spectro Cloud? Raise your hands. They are the good looking folks in the blue shirts, right? <laughs> so before we get started, I wanted to remind you all that there will be a Q&A, of course, at the end of the panel discussion. And then we have a raffle. And as you can see on that wonderful presentation we have, we're giving away an Airbnb experience with a value of 300 USD. And you can use that for if you want to uh, stay somewhere or have a cooking experience. But uh, that is the first. And then the second for five lucky winners, they will have access to Spectro Cloud's platform for an entire year. That's five lucky winners. So be sure to get your raffle ticket. Did anyone? not get a raffle ticket. If you haven't, raise your hand and Heather or Jennifer will get you your, your ticket. Okay. Everyone seems to have, to have a ticket. Okay. So let's get started. Your host with the most is whom we do the stack in the hat from the new stack, our founder and our publisher, Mr. Alex Williams. All right. Tapas, tapas. Man, I love tapas. Who doesn't? But in any case, we're just going to get started real quick. I want to give another thanks to Spectral Cloud. It's really nice for them to be able to do this. We haven't done tapas before. We know pancakes. I've been trying to think of an equivalent of the short stack with the new stack, but maybe, you know, if you think of something later, if you have any ideas, let me know. I want to just make sure that you're feeling okay to ask questions. Please ask questions. That really is what we try to do with this is which what we really are trying to do is give you the opportunity to get your questions answered. And it makes for a nice conversation when we do that. 
And so please just uh, feel free to uh, ask your questions and we'll have a nice conversation. So why don't the panelists just come on up and I'll, I'll have them introduce themselves quickly. Uh, so come on up and take a seat. Yeah, there we go. Nice round of applause. So why don't we just, you know, why don't, I'm going to give you all the chance to introduce yourself. So Bailey, why don't, you, why don't you start? Hi, guys. My name is Bailey Hayes. I'm a principal software engineer at Single Store. If you're not familiar with Single Store, it's a cloud distributed database. But uh, one of my main interests right now is in WebAssembly. Uh, and you might be wondering how that intersects with uh, cloud native and Kubernetes. So I welcome those questions. Hello, everyone. I'm Fabrizio Pandini. I'm a staff engineer at OneMare, but I'm, I'm also technical lead in C Cluster Cycle. I work in Cluster API, and yeah, I'm uh, looking forward for your question. Hi, all. Saad Bolik. I'm the CTO of Spectra Cloud, where we do Kubernetes management at scale, and passions include orchestration of Kubernetes. Surprise, surprise. Well, great. So our discussion really is about scaling uh, Kubernetes. And it's a topic of interest uh, for me because I've been talking to a lot of people who come from different perspectives. Some people are building, you know, um, Kubernetes environments on bare metal. Others are uh, fully invested into the just the standard traditional Kubernetes environment. We're seeing the introduction of, of, of WASM. And uh, Billy can talk about that. So, one of the interesting, one of the questions I have come that I've been hearing more often is about updating your environment. And a Datadog reported that the average version of Kubernetes right now is almost 18 months out of date. And so once people get, get set up, really the maintenance stops. And I'm just curious, how does that affect the way a company scales out? And then how are you thinking about that as a matter of concern for you and the, what, you're, what you're developing? Yeah, so one thing about a Kubernetes lifecycle management, update lifecycle, one thing obviously as we are the management platform that helps customers organize, manage, deploy, and update all of the different Kubernetes across all their lifecycles, is we see a wide variety of different operational models. Right? We're seeing in the more regular industries, whether it's things like you know, federal, government, healthcare, oil and gas, that the update life cycles are actually a lot less frequent than even potentially 18 months. We're seeing them sometimes to be even two years behind. As you guys all know, Kubernetes actually only has an EOL now of one year, but some of these regular environments, because they have to be so strict in terms of validation and testing, they're updating sometimes 20 months, 24 months, even 30 months later. And, and what we realized with these environments is that they're actually doing a lot of testing beforehand on the entire application stack. Everything from testing, not only the OS, but the Kubernetes and the actual application layers, and keeping them as rigid as possible. On the other side of the spectrum, we're seeing technology companies, you know, think about the big Ubers of the world, the big Lyfts of the world. They want to be able to adopt technology at a much faster pace. Whether these includes adopting application stacks and services like new database services, or even building now applications which sit on top of Kubernetes, like controllers and operators, they are actually updating literally within a month or two of a new Kubernetes release. So it's about being able to meet the customers where they are, whether they need the optionality of moving as fast as they can to the latest versions, or allowing them to still be on an older version as much as needed. So Bailey, does this rank as a major issue for you? Or how does it rank as an issue you see with people out there trying to scale up? 
Yeah, I, I would say for us, we're very much limited by our common denominator. So if, say, your customer is one of, one of these regulated industries and they say, no, this is the version, this is the best version that I can support, that's the version we have to be able to support. And uh, with version skew across, like, uh, the cluster API and other pieces, you're, 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 you're trapped in the past if that's the case. And, th and that really does take the entire industry focusing on the issue to fix it to be able to move things forward. Uh, for us, I think we're, you know, we have a skew of like four versions right now. Okay. If I can make a point on uh, uh, regarding this topic, I think that what I'm seeing from the cluster, C cluster cycle point of view is that users are kind of changing their attitude to this program. Because if you think there are trends like software supply chain, we have all the scanner running in the cluster that basically gives you a lot of information that at the end tells you that you cannot run without risk outdated software. So if I look at this, this is a great opportunity for us because we have to provide users the easy button. We have to meet where they are, but bring them to a, to a world which is more sustainable. I like that, the easy button. Yes. yes. Yeah. We are talking a lot of this in Cluster API. I think that we, we did a decent job with the most recent version of Cluster API. You can upgrade your cluster just, just changing the version in one YAML file, like you do with your pod. And it is pretty powerful. It orchestrates the, the upgrade for you. So I think that's the opportunity. And this is where we have to work as a community. Bring the customer from where they are to where they want to be because they want to be secure. They want to run software which is supported. Great. Heather Jocelyn is here. Heather is our senior editor. Say hello to Heather. Hey, Heather. Yeah. Heather, um, I'm going to ask Heather to see if there's anyone out there who has a question. I know there must be at least one to start. Who wants to, who wants to break the ice and ask a question here? about any kind of particular matter uh, of concern that you're seeing out there? What are some of the issues that you're seeing out there? Does just, anyone have a question? Just don't be, don't be bashful. I'll come along in my saucy little chef's hat and, and you can ask your question. Oh, hello there. I have a question um, concerning Wasm. Has Kubernetes caught up yet to be able to accommodate Wasm or is it just too new? And how does that have to do with scale then too? That's what I'm curious about. Okay, all right, all right. So we've got several layers here. I would say that uh, it, it's Wasm that is finding ways to catch up to Kubernetes. Uh, so Wasm has uh, an additional layer of standards that we're working on that allow Wasm to run really well outside of the browser and on the server context, and that's called WASI. And so we're, we're, we're sort of missing a lot of the things that we need in WASI for us to, to do all the things that you would kind of expect out of any other container. So once we have that in place, yes, there are a lot of things that you can do. Interestingly, there are a lot of different newer platforms uh, that are targeting WASM specifically uh, that I think are taking an interesting take on this problem that you can do uh, production workloads in. Uh, those examples would be like WASM Cloud and Spin. But the, there's also Crosslet, which lets you run WASM uh, side by side with OCI containers. Uh, and for scaling, it, it, I do believe it'll be a, a good answer, uh, but I also don't think we're necessarily there yet. I, I think it is very new. I think this uh, Crustle technology is quite interesting in that it creates a virtual cube. You actually have an agent that you run on any of your nodes, 
that essentially advertises itself as a WASM runtime. And then the way you schedule your actual, your actual WASM pods on it is specifying, hey, well, I'm actually targeting it to a crustlet or an actual WASM endpoint. So quite interesting technology. Yeah, we're, we're definitely building the foundations now. Uh, so it's really exciting. And if you're interested in contributing, <laughs> please join us. You know, one thing I, I should add is that if you ask a question, you get five additional raffle tickets. So your chances of winning goes away. Should uh, I buy Bitcoin? <laughs> so if anyone is, wants to like get in the lead for, 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 for the prize here, now's your chance. Is there anyone who has a question based upon, uh, I know there's a hand that wants to go up. What an, what an, what an egalitarian group, you know, you're just thinking of everyone else here. Does anyone really have a question about WebAssembly or, or problems that you're facing in particular? I'm interested in hearing uh, stories, too. Yeah. Uh, I would like to hear your worst update story. Yeah, does anyone have a worst update story that they'd like to share? <laughs> I have a question. Um, we... Uh, we keep hearing a little bit about how the, the Kubernetes maintainer community is, is sort of thinning, thinning out a little bit. Um, is that something that, that any of you are concerned about or think might be a real trend? And if so, what, what do you think the community can do about that or the industry can do about that? I, I think that this is not a concern. What is happening is that the community is consolidating in the sense that we are moving from an initial phase where there was a great innovation, great enthusiasm, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're going into a phase where things more, more important are stability, security. And there is still a lot of innovation, that, that's true. But in, in some sense, this innovation is carried, is carried out in a, let me say, in a more controlled way, in a more safe way. We, we make sure to communicate things uh, properly. We make sure to expose a new API when, when, when we, they are well designed. We make sure to ensure migration path, no matter if we are in alpha. So I think that the community is reacting to this. Let me say there is a lot of work which is kind of less glamorous than that before, where, where there was all exciting news every, every month. And also there is a, you know, a, a cycle, the, 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 the initial set of, the, of uh, engineers, the, they are moving to different roles, a new set in, of engineers growing. So it is a kind of the, the type of work that you do contribute is slightly different, but nevertheless, it is a great community. We are 7,000 contributors. Yesterday, there was the Contributor Summit, and it was awesome. Uh, great news, uh, great news, uh, great enthusiasm. Finally, back in person, this is also a factor that, it, you know, the last two years was hard for everyone. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not worried. It is just the project that is evolving, and, uh, and uh, it is a new interesting phase for us. I think just to add to what Fabrizi was saying, the, you can even see how the release cycles of Kubernetes and the support cycles, it used to be before that an actual release would be supported for nine months. Now it's up to a whole year. We're also seeing that deprecation of beta features and alpha features a lot more quickly because you care about only having stability in the platform itself. I think Kubernetes itself as a core layer is becoming more of a mature platform where you care more about stability, you care more about security angles. And I think we'll still continue to see a lot more innovation at the layers above. I mean, already when we started Spectra Cloud two and a half years ago, three years ago now, 
right? There was around 1,600 different technologies in the CNCF landscape. Today, if you look at that landscape today, there are over 1,800 different technologies. And that rate of new technologies is only increasing. Mm. We have a question? WASM, and we use it quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And we built like an incident, a resolution tool. Um, and we actually used WASM for, or we, we used WebAssembly like for two like challenges that we faced. So one was like the complexity that comes from the collaborative nature of what we're doing. And basically the growth, like the exponential growth of like the interactions that can happen and conflict resolution, it was like super helpful. Like in the back end, we have Rust. In the front end, we have WebAssembly. So that, that that's super helpful. And um, so another challenge that we faced and where WASM was also quite helpful is we wanted to pull in data from external data sources for analysis into the notebooks. And then... Yeah, we used WASM and eventually ended up like building like an own bindings generator because we at least think that it's more helpful. But like WASM is something that we use on a daily basis. So super helpful for us. Yeah, I believe uh, the bindings generator you guys created was called WASM FS, I think. Is it's right? called FP Bindgen. FP Bindgen, that's it. Yes, thank you. What company are you with? Fiberplane. Okay. From Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, a lot of people are coming up with different <laughs> innovations in, in this space because we're, you know, largely sitting on top of the shoulders of others because the Kubernetes platform really is stabilizing. And and so what other people are doing is, is working in that WASI standard piece that I'm talking about. Uh, we do want standards to move forward to, to make it so that uh, we don't have a million different solutions and, and we lose the portability aspect, which is so important for WASM. And I think is really interesting, I believe, about the Fiberplane use case is that there are essentially an idea of adding capability providers and, and being, being able to bring in multiple data sources, because what application only has one data provider at this point? So with one of the things that we were actually talking about here at KubeCon, I, I was actually just outside with several of the people who are contributing to WASI, and we just <laughs> spec'd out what I would call WASI SQL. And it would make it so that there's kind of this, this common way of pulling in data within the component model. So it's, it's basically a way to let us run things portably. And, and I think it'll, it'll also work well with the bindgen that you guys have created. And yeah, so I, I think a lot of the innovation is moving this way. We got maybe uh, 10 new faces that I, I saw just today. So the contributors are definitely there. I do think they are kind of moving to, to maybe higher levels. Anyone have any questions about contributing? Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Please. Okay. Uh, my name is Santiago. I work for GamGam. So I have a question. Uh, a challenge that we are facing at GamGam is that the release process of Kubernetes, I think it's, I mean, for me particularly, I think it's way too fast. It's actually four releases per year. So trying to upgrade automatically Kubernetes clusters with that release speed, I think is quite challenging. So actually, I, I, I've read some people that are actually suggesting to slow down the release process for Kubernetes because of that. Because, I mean, we have to upgrade Kubernetes every three months at our company. And then the problem is not upgrading Kubernetes, but the problem is upgrading all the core components, such as FluentD, Ingress Controller, uh, you know, Prometheus. So what do you think about that? What's your recommendation or your thoughts about that? Is it uh, actually a good idea to slow down the release process of Kubernetes to improve that? Thanks. Really, a feedback that we heard, heard a lot. And in fact, last year, the, the Kubernetes community reacted, changing the release process from four releases to a year to three. And um, 
and to the support windows from uh, to one year and changing also these different guarantees. So here it is the point. I, I think that slowing down more, you incur in other problem. Your components get old, you get security, you get CVE, and you don't react. I think that what we have to do, and more and more, is build automation about the security process. So now, if, you, if I look at the automation that exists, uh, you press a button and you get your Kubernetes cluster upgrade, but your component basically does not react to this upgrade. So if we look at, for instance, our work that is ongoing in the Cluster API community, we are implementing things that we call lifecycle hooks. Basically, whenever there is something that happens to your cluster, an hooks get called. So before upgrading, after upgrading, and using these primitives, we are building a, a, a set of add-on management solution that basically allows you to automatically upgrade your add-ons in sync with the cluster upgrade. This is a layer of automation that, that goes in the direction of the discussion that we were having before. We have to help customer to upgrade more frequently and without problem. So yeah, the community is reacting to this input. This input. When you say component, you're kind of saying Prometheus exporter, for example, might react to this hook. Exactly. I say component, I use a component as a generic term for every application that runs on top of Kubernetes. Usually another synonymous that we use is add-ons. But yeah. yeah, and what we're also finding from our customers, especially the ones that run single tenant clusters, they have many, many clusters that are very similar to those, is they also want, as part of the automation lifecycle, validate that all these updates are going to be okay. So what many of them are doing is they actually have a stage cluster, right, that is running all these life cycles every single day they go through the test pipelines. And as new different Helm charts are being released, as new integrations are coming out, they'll automatically be able to test it with the latest upgrade, run their actual integration test, make sure everything passes. And if so, they'll say, hey, this cluster is good. Let me go ahead and actually merge in NY GitOps into the actual 10 other clusters that are using the same pipeline cycle. So it's about also being building a pipeline and a process for how you're going to be building out the CD process of updating not only your application components, your Kubernetes, even your operating system updates. Everything has to go online. We have another question. Hi, my name is Vukash. I work for Giant Swarm. And basically, I'd like to ask a follow-up question about that because over here you mentioned some ideas about how to make upgrades easier in the future, like with copy extensions and the hooks that you mentioned. But also, what are your thoughts? Because I've seen that as well, like you were mentioning clusters that are lagging behind like two years, right? Uh, Okay, maybe not that extreme cases, but still. Are there any ideas that could help people that are already lagging behind to get up to the current release. So, Because, well, we have some ideas for the future, right? But we still have that, that backlog of clusters that need to get out of the out-of-support releases and catch up with current releases. Is there anything going on around that? that that's a really interesting problem. The, the fact is that as much as you wait, basically you increase the gap from where we are and where you want to be. And basically you increase the number of variants that you have to take care of. A API that gets deprecated, API, new API that gets added, and so on and so forth. So this is a very complex problem. So there was a discussion and there was a Kubernetes working group discussing about long-term support. Is it possible to have a, a Kubernetes version that is supported more than the usual uh, support window? 
is it possible to ensure step upgrade from one long-term version to the next one? Unfortunately, this working group does not create a, a solution because at the end, if we propose the customer to or the user to stay to one version, it's like we are encouraging them to take more risks, take more CVE, work with product components which are not supported anymore. If you think, I don't know, many of us run cert manager in our clusters. And cert manager now has a support window that is two months. So they are really, really short, really aggressive in, in deploying a new feature. So the point is that as a community, no matter how, how many resources we, we, we have, we have to decide what is the best. And, and the best is to help customer to move. And this is where we concentrated our efforts. We're also working with uh, platform engineering teams that have their own end user customers. When we think about a large organization that is providing namespace access to clusters, development teams only have access to namespaces. One particular customer had a very similar, it wasn't regarding upgrade, but it was more about not leveraging the right technologies in Kubernetes. So they were having these PDBs, but every time an upgrade was going to happen, it would actually make the entire upgrade of the cluster be stuck because somebody didn't implement PDB right. What they did actually was using automation, trigger a forced upgrade every single month. If there was no upgrade available, they would still use a cert manager rotation and cluster API to force a repave of every single node on the clusters. What that actually forced the customer, the actual end users of building applications that run on the clusters, is they have to build cloud-native applications because they now have to tolerate one pod going down as they have to build the anti-fairity policies correctly so the pods are being scaled across. And also, if there's a PDB now creating the entire cluster to be stuck, they have to fix that as well. So it's about forcing potentially end of the line business users to do the right practices upfront by making these upgrades and making these updates forces. Some of the things I've seen in that case and Kubernetes as a platform uh, internally, often I see the applications that are running on Kubernetes not being updated. Like Kubernetes itself is, is staying well up to date and, and a lot of the stability that's been put in place has allowed for that. But there isn't enough standardization on how to continuously update applications that are running on Kubernetes. You know, solutions like Argo CD are amazing for that, but it kind of requires the platform engineering team to put them in place for, for the platform pieces, but also to, like you said, get yeah. the business teams to also be following best practices. Absolutely. Heather, do we have a question? We do. We do have a question. Okay, uh, uh, also like talking about the Kubernetes release cycle. Jonas from JoinTech, by the way. I feel like we spend a lot of time getting um, workloads um, version agnostic in terms of the Kubernetes version. It's like there are so many uh, changes, I don't know, in uh, the pod security policies being deprecated and then eventually getting removed and uh, pod security standards uh, being a thing now. And you still want to uh, like policy enforcement in some sense. So you end up using OPA or you end up designing your resources in a way that by ingress leaving better after I don't know how many years so, uh, they, uh, you know, they still work. I feel like there's a lot of work being done in a lot of companies in getting workloads version agnostic. And because also like some companies have like a variety of versions of Kubernetes running. So I've, I've encountered like two years old clusters in one company and also like recent clusters. I mean, maybe development clusters getting updated more often and stuff like that. And I wonder what your experiences and recommendations are in terms of like doing that and in designing your workloads in a way that you actually can upgrade because they are agnostic of the version. Okay, so basically best practices for designing your workloads so they're... Right, it's version agnostic, yeah. I think this is Version a, agnostic. 
very interesting question, right? I mean, if you think about any container that you may have, can you run on Kubernetes? Sure. I mean, you create either a pod or replica set or deployment. You can make it work. You don't have to rely anything on secrets or injection, storage. All of that could be running inside the app. But we're also finding that a lot of the newer applications our customers are developing, especially platform engineering teams, is they want to provide a standardized API for their line of business users to be able to request a service. I want to create a new MySQL database. Maybe I'll use Crossplane. Maybe I'll do something else. They're building these applications as operators and controllers. And th those applications themselves are, of course, now talking to the API server, and they're leveraging the different capabilities. I think for the most part, when you're building an operator controller that is making specific API calls into the API server, you are going to be trying to use the V1 API. And if, as far as I know, V1s, they were never going to change. Even if there's any enhancement, it's going to be always backwards compatible. You should be wary of using beta features. And anyway, alpha features are now with this new release lifecycle, I think it's like within three months, right? Or within nine months or so, if they're not actually merged or made into a beta version of the feature, they're completely removed from the platform. So you should be wary of those ones. One of the things I put in place uh, at my previous company is a set of uh, base customized resources that folks built off of. And so we had like 300-ish microservices building off of those. And that helped uh, in that, you know, I, I would always just introduce in the same repository a V1, a V2 uh, of those bases, and then have kind of basically a sync point. By this date, uh, all of us need to kind of reach this uh, consensus that this is uh, where we need to be. And then every, then we can just assume that we're at this version. But that, that was really difficult, not having the ability to just kind of blast change all of these things within one like mono repository. I felt like introduced a lot of friction of, of having to try to do a consensus algorithm with humans is, is probably not the right way to go. So finding a way to automatically update those applications, I think, would be a better implementation than what I've done previously. Yeah, just, just to add a few words on this. I, I think that the key word here is consistency. If you think that Kubernetes basically gives us a consistent way to deploy application, no matter where we deploy them. If you think that Cluster API gives us a consistent way to manage cluster, no matter if they are on cloud, on premises, or whatever. And I think that the same approach of consistency should be applied to the people that manage this application. And, and this is a challenge because when mm -hmm. your organization decides to green light something, pod uh, security policy, it has to be done consistently across the board. And you have to be sure that your user does not use a random feature, alpha feature in an aggressive way, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, everything boils down that on top of Kubernetes, we need some kind of process. And for instance, if you look at GitOps, it was this nice con conjunction between a form of process that both the infrastructure and the development agree. We do a PR, the PR goes through some checks, and these checks enable you to, to do something. Okay, this is a very simple way to make a process that everyone likes yeah. without, without making it formal, without having tickets, and so on and so forth. So, my, my, my answer is that the, we, we need consistency. We need process on top of that. And this is the only things that can help you to manage evolving system like uh, Kubernetes or cloud native solutions. Any other questions? You have any questions? Yep. You have one? 
Yeah, so uh, a question really about, I guess, the, the change in terms of messaging that we are starting to see. A few years ago, it was kind of all about the mega cluster. We saw uh, talks around kind of the Pokemon Go cluster that was, you know, breaching 5,000 nodes. Uh, and now we're talking about many clusters. So we're moving from mega clusters to many clusters. Uh, are we seeing the big clusters go away? And, you know, how do we approach managing moving away from one big cluster to having hundreds of small clusters? There's a lot of headaches that are introduced with being able to do all of that uh, management. Point number one, I think that there are many reasons why uh, users are moving away from big cluster to, to small one. Some of them are practical. Managing a big cluster requires deep knowledge of the platform, advanced optimization, and a lot of skills that are not so easy to find. But also there are plenty of organizational reasons in order to have many clusters. You have uh, different units inside your company. You want to give a test cluster to a team, or you have to manage a different environment, or, or uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there are many reasons because managing many clusters is becoming convenient, both from the user, also from the technology. Now there is cluster API, you can create a cluster basically applying a YAML. So we are moving towards this world. Where is the, the current limit and, and where the community can improve? The current limit is that you manage easily one cluster. We lack a good abstraction to manage many. There are no concept of fleets. There are no idea of how to upgrade many clusters in, a, I don't know, in some orchestrated way, et cetera, et cetera. The community is reacting. Not only the community as an open source community, but also a community vendor, uh, as vendor, VMware, uh, Spectre Cloud, and many, many other companies are reacting. And, and you can find tools that allows you to manage cluster in different places, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there is still uh, room to improve. And this is an, um, an idea of for opportunity, uh, and we look forward for user feedback. What are the complexities that you're finding? What are, what are some of the problems that you're facing? And have you, have you, are you on a mega cluster? I used to do uh, consultancy uh, with customers who were deploying clusters at a previous role. And um, there were quite a few mega clusters that I kind of had to deal with, you know, thousand node kind of clusters. And multi-tenancy was a nightmare. Offboarding kind of users and things like that, the certificates and, and who had this, that, and the other. A show of hands, who's in the many cluster camp? Who's in the mega cluster camp? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone yeah. want to talk about why they're in the mini, mini or the mega cluster camp? There's one over there. Okay. Right? So uh, just last week, I had two teams uh, asking me to install the same uh, custom resource definition somewhere, and they did not want to talk about who got to have it. Uh, that, that really makes you want to do several clusters, except, I mean... We couldn't, so. They did not want to have what? We didn't want to build more clusters for them, just oh. for the sake of having a CID for something something weird. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Oh, here we have someone up front. We're here. I think it's a mega cluster proponent here. I'm not a mega cluster um, pro proponent. Um, we're probably okay. not a mega cluster uh, area. We have a cluster with around 120 nodes. Okay. It's, it's more of a mega mega complexity. Okay, uh, mega complexity is mega more complexity accurate. Project yeah. Because yeah. The, the thing is that we have around 150 different applications and a few monolithic applications as well, like 150 microservices and a few JBoss uh, applications. And all of those applications have different needs. And s some of the applications... They also have infrastructure needs. Like, for example, an application needs to talk to an S3 bucket or, or needs to talk to a database. And then as part of the, uh, as part of the deployment, deployment, we need to create different IAM roles and policies. And it's getting very 
complex because we, we have 150 different teams developing 150 different applications, and we need to drive consistency in, in the way those applications are getting deployed because we want to have a smaller cost of ownership. I would like to know if there are different approaches to, to the way we're doing it. Cur currently, we're not using custom resources because with custom resources, it's perceived as, uh, as a problem from a security point of view because you need to have an operator which is uh, having wider privileges to the, to the entire cluster. And the way we're doing it is through a common uh, Helm chart, which is uh, used as a dependency. And then the different teams, they're just using feature toggles. For example, if you want to use a database, then you're saying DB enabled true, DB enabled false, all the different teams, they don't need to understand Kubernetes. All they're doing is applying feature flags and then depending on the common chart. And then if we're having infrastructure dependencies, like for example, a service needs to talk to an Aurora Postgre database, then as part of the chart, we're packaging a few Terraform variables. And in, in, in the actual chart, you're going to say, uh, you're going to specify the IAM policy for your IAM role so that you can connect to RGS without a password. And then as part of the deployment, we're going to create the policy and then create pod security group in, in, in AWS and then deploy the Helm chart through yeah, Terraform. So it sounds like a very, very complex simple, thing. Right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's not a mega cluster, it's a mega complexity, but it's some, some, somehow... Uh, it's somehow consistent because developers, they, they don't need to learn Kubernetes. They don't need to learn AWS. And we have a, a lot of different teams just leveraging a common chart. So just want to know yeah. if there are other approaches for the same Great. use case. Uh, I, I think uh, just from my perspective, right, I think you hit on something really well. And maybe it's something, a question for you guys. If by show of hands, should developers, and I'm talking about core backend application developers, care about Kubernetes primitives? Should they care about the Kubernetes yeah. lifecycle? Who, who thinks that people should know about Kubernetes? Developers should. I don't think anybody here believes that. Yeah. I think it's the platform engineering team and responsibility to make a platform experience as simple as possible. You guys are already doing it. The one way of doing it is making it simple to have these Helm chart values for different teams to be able to say, I need Postgres, all that. I, as a developer team on your organization or inside of your platform, I don't really have to figure out, go into my Amazon, create this, go to database, for the seek and all that. You guys are And we're seeing more and more organizations building what's called internal developer platforms that are able to provide very simple experiences for what my development team just needs, right? It's about just saying, I want to care about creating a simple, simple database. If you can create either a CRD or a simple health chart, that is then governed by the platform engineering team in terms of your retention policies, your backup policies, all that is handled. My life is easy. And number two, you guys are also securing your workloads for all your customers. So I think that if I look at the ecosystem, so first of all, there are layers, and I agree. There is a layer which is the platform that has to offer services. It could be connect to something or simply connectivity across the, the different workloads. Then there is the application and the application lifecycle management. I just want to add, and I totally agree, there are, uh, and if I look at the ecosystem, there are new wave of tools uh, that are also part of our VMware offering that do this, but there are also alternatives that gives to the developers the way to, to develop application using sort of recipes that basically embeds all this knowledge, how my application gets Run it on Kubernetes, 
but the developer should not care about this. I think there is a very difficult line to walk. I, I've worked both on building a platform for people to build on top of, uh, but I was have also acted as an application developer feeling the restriction of not being able to innovate and add uh, maybe third-party applications to the stack to just experiment, to see like, oh, you know what? I actually want to see if Elasticsearch works better than my database, for example. That's a really difficult thing to do, especially when you're trying to introduce new stateful workloads. And it's so often the case that platforms say, yeah, don't use the CRD, but if uh, I want to be on the happy path for many of these other applications that are running in, in Kubernetes and I want to have automated updates... That's almost the only way that I can really do that. And so finding a line between creating golden paths or happy paths for developers so that they're doing the right things, but then also allowing for some flexibility. And I'll say as a platform engineer, I, I definitely expose too many Kubernetes primitives to my developers, and that caused a lot of issues. Uh, so I don't recommend going that route. I think today, this day and age, right, because Kubernetes is here to stay, it is critical business infrastructure. We're all developing applications on top of it. We don't want to expose these primitives to developers anymore. And I think for 80, 90% of use cases, you build these internal developer platform or toolings or VMware tap or other technologies that make it really easy for application engineers to deploy their applications to build it and operations teams and security teams to be able to operate those applications in production. I think for the 10% of use cases, whether I'm, a, I'm trying a latest version of Prometheus, I want to try the latest version of Kubernetes, you should still, as a platform engineering team, offer that if you want to go off the main road, off to the actual off-road, you're welcome to do that. Just know that you're no longer getting backups, you're no longer getting security, you're no longer getting auditing. These are all responsibilities that you have to do. Do you sign up? Check this, you know, put your name on it, and you're good to go. But if not, we provide all these capabilities for you if you're on the road that we offer. And, and let me have a pull request model to get back on the path. There you go. Is there any last questions that we can help answer? Maybe, maybe just as a quick follow-up to the, current, uh, the last question. So what's the ratio of platform teams and development teams? Because I think it's, it's very much dependent on, I mean, if you have one platform team and 20 development teams, and a platform team has to, to provide all the services and all the functionalities. It's a different story to having, you know, I don't know, five platform teams and 20 development teams. So what is your experience? What, what, do you, what is the trend? How do you scale that in a, when we're talking about scaling? I'll start. I can tell you how not to do it. Uh, so <laughs> we had about 700 engineers to four platform engineers. And I don't recommend that ratio. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, you have to make different choices, right? When, when you're in that situation, you say abstractions leak, and therefore I, I'm not going to implement many abstractions. You're going to have to kind of forge a little bit of your own path. I'm going to say what is the happy path, but you're going to have to use those primitives directly. So, uh, so 350 to 2, is that better? <laughs> <laughs> it's not great, right? Uh, and and uh, now um, at, at a different company, we... It's better, uh, significantly better. And I think also working in a mono repo has helped a lot there too with the management. But I am really curious what other, uh, like, I, you know, I hear the like spaceship from what Google. Is, what is the best ratio then, do you think? I mean, I guess and it depends so much on so many yeah. factors. Who's the 700 to four? Who's in the 700 to four group in here? Anyone raise their hand? Wow. Oh, jeez. Oh, right there. Four. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a question way in the back. Yes. Uh, so I have a question about uh, like the Kubernetes direction going forward, uh, because um, 
right now we have many different uh, vendors that pull uh, Kubernetes in quite a few different directions. And we actually see quite some fragmentation. What uh, is the direction going forward? Is there going to be like more consider, uh, consolidation to avoid the fate of OpenStack? We, I think everyone knows where OpenStack is today. So just from my perspective, right? I mean, I think right now we have 15 different distributions of Kubernetes. I don't personally see that we're going to see a lot of consolidation in the next future. And the reason for that is we're already seeing the move away from these large multi-tenant clusters towards a lot of smaller, smaller multi-tenant clusters. Now, why is that? So one, of course, is about isolating the blast radius. It's about providing more control. Potentially, team A really does need a different ingress for more latency requirements as opposed to caring more about observability. So we'll start seeing small, small, small changes. I think the real challenge that we'll see in the next six months, a few years from now, as we start getting tens, hundreds, potentially even thousands of clusters when you're looking at edge, is how do you manage them at scale? How do yeah. you provide consistent visibility in terms of all these different clusters and still provide the operational capabilities to manage their life cycles for the Kubernetes, for the applications and layers above? Well, that's my question that I've been posing a lot is about Kubernetes at scale in a bare metal environment, which is primarily what you see on the edge, right? I mean, is, is there has to be a coexistence of some sort, doesn't there? It, I mean, what, what is that coexistence? Definitely. I, I think that the, the challenge goes back to the consistency world because people want to use uh, Kubernetes everywhere because they want to develop up one time or an app in all the same way and deploy where they need. The same apply to manage. They want to manage cluster in the data center in the same way that they manage cluster in the edge location. So this is what cluster API is. It is just a model. This core, is, it is a model to represent a cluster, no matter where, where it is or how big it is. And if you go back to the question of consolidation, what I see is that many or many providers or vendors are consolidating on top of this model because this model is, is kind of a foundation. And then you can build other value services like manage many clusters together or like bring developers, give an easy path for the developers. So I think that what we are seeing is that we are basically moving to the next layer of problems. Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's, we essentially build on top of the work that you've done. We, we have a managed service. We call it the control plane that, that runs in one cloud vendor, but we're able to deploy clusters to many other vendors. And I think that's been incredibly powerful because we've been able to try different things for different clusters. That's one of the many reasons why we have many clusters, but having the cluster API so that I can specify the weirdness for each thing, but but also have an easy upgrade path for it. Regardless of bare metal or virtualization. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It provides a consistent experience, bare metal, edge, public, it doesn't matter. And I think the other benefit you are already finding, I'm sure, is as newer capabilities are added into cluster API, whether it's in terms of cluster CAC, class, or other capabilities, you're automatically gaining all those capabilities. If you had built your own proprietary orchestration platform, you'd have to implement all those things yourself, right? Yeah, so I don't have to be one of the big cloud vendors to provide my own managed service, right? It's something that, you know, we're going to have this entire new layer of innovation that's able to take advantage of aspects like this. But you still manage your own OS. You still do that all yourself. No. So, so I would recommend using like GKS and all of those aspects from, from the cloud vendors, but be, be able to kind of plug into each of these by using the cluster API. Okay. 
Great. I think we've asked so many good questions. And I want to thank all the participants here who came to this, to our event today. I want to give you all, all a round of applause. You, you, came, you came for tapas. You didn't want to ask questions to start. But there was a lot of good questions here. So thank you very much. And I also really want to thank Spectral Cloud. Thank you so much for making this possible. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. And the panelists, and you know, Fabrizio and Bailey, you've been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jim. And the Newstack team has been as great as usual. They they did a lot of work getting this together. Let's give them a big hand. Thank you, everyone. Have a great conference. Yes, thank you. KubeCon and CloudNativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud-native computing. The vendor-neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, Containered, and more. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast and listen to more episodes on the new Stack Makers. Create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more articles and great stories, go to the newstack.io.